Hi, and welcome to episode 101 of the Untethered Podcast. Today, we have Sabrina Rabiar joining us. Sabrina is a bilingual speech-language pathologist and orofacial myologist. She provides orofacial myofunctional therapy, feeding and swallowing therapy, and speech-language therapy for children and adults in the Rio Grande Valley, Texas area through her private practice, Mighty Bites. Sabrina recognizes the importance of a client-centered therapeutic experience, which inspires her to create strong and long-lasting bonds with each of her patients. Today, you'll hear her talk about her feeding and tots journey with her very own daughter. I was inspired when I heard her story and I knew she had to come on this podcast as soon as I met her. So I know whether you're a parent listening or a professional listening, you're going to get a lot out of this episode. Quick disclaimer, all information, content, and material of this podcast are the opinions of the speakers and is for the informational purpose only and not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified healthcare provider. Welcome to the Untethered Podcast. I am your host, Hallie Balkin. I'm a certified orofacial myologist, feeding specialist, and mentor. This podcast is all about getting your questions answered and collaborating with colleagues to bring you the most up-to-date information in the orofacial myofunctional therapy, tethered oral tissue, and airway space. I challenge you to keep an open mind and join my mission to get this information out to the masses. Let's get started. Well, Sabrina, thank you so much for joining me today and being willing to share your story with us. Yes. Thank you so much for having me today. Super excited. I'm excited too. I'm excited. And I know that you're one of our community members. And so that even makes me more excited because I love that, that the online, you know, things that we all do have brought some of us together that maybe we wouldn't have been connected otherwise, but I feel like you've got a really great story and message to share. And so I'm excited to jump into that. Yes, definitely. Um, So in about uh, 2018, I gave birth to my daughter in April. Mm -hmm. Um, Right away in the hospital setting, a lactation department personnel came in. And I'm saying that, choosing my words wisely, because now we know there's IBCLCs. Mm -hmm. And this individual, unfortunately, did not have those credentials. She came in, just asked how I was doing. I was a first time mom. I didn't know what to expect. And she goes, Oh, it looks good. Okay. Bye-bye. And she left. And that's the only time I had lactation support in the hospital setting. Mm. We came home. My daughter was born on a Thursday in the evening. So Friday evening we were released. We didn't go to the pediatrician until Monday, but right away on Saturday and Sunday, that's when I say, and it's really sad to look back that my nightmare began. Mm. It was just so painful and excruciating. And every time we had a feeding, I was dreading it. And it felt like my baby was dreading it too. So I have a crying baby. And at the same time, I'm crying also. And I knew, because I already had worked with feeding before, that feeding should not feel that way. It should be a delightful time for mom and baby. And it was far from that. So what we had was coughing, choking. I know some anterior spillage is normal right away after birth, but the baby was literally dropping milk from her mouth. And it was just very scary and frightening. And that's when it clicked on me. I was like, oh my gosh, this is a form of dysphagia. Like this is not normal because I had worked in the geriatric population. I was like, something's going on in her mouth. It's not working and I need help and I don't know what to do. And I told my partner, call the hospital. That's all I could think of because I didn't know there's any resources. Call the hospital, take me to the hospital. I need that lady to come see me. 
we were actually seen by another lactation personnel. She propped me up on like six pillows and then handed me off the baby and a nipple shield. And she said, oh, how do you feel now? And of course, at the time I was like, I feel great. And I was like, this was a successful event. She didn't look in my baby's mouth. She didn't assess our latch. She didn't look at my nipple before or after and all that extra good stuff. At that point, I had cracked nipples and I was bleeding. I hope that's allowed. Of course, Um, yes. It was bleeding and I was so concerned and she didn't even address that. It was just with a nipple shield. So I came home and the first time we tried to do it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm alone because my partner was working. Who's going to hand me off the baby? (laughs) <laughs> on my propped pillows. So I was like, okay, that that's not that's not ideal. Right. Um, the next appointment Monday, we come to Monday, she dropped some weight, which the doctor didn't really seem concerned. And they have you fill out like that postpartum depression. And I'm like, well, I'm a medical provider. I'm not depressed, but I'm really sad that I'm not having an enjoyable experience breastfeeding. Yeah. And I didn't know how to relay that to my pediatrician, but I, all I could think of is it's hard. I kept telling him it's very hard. He gave us formula, Mm. (laughs) hands of formula and sent us home. He never really addressed the feeding portion of it. So that left me really, really sad. (laughs) Um, I can only imagine. I mean, it really, everything you're saying is speaks to me because I was also this mom who went through a similar experience and you know, it's like what you don't know, you don't know. Right. So I didn't know, even though I was a pediatric feeding therapist, I was working, I was not working with breastfeeding babies at the time I was working with 12 months plus, you know, so I could recognize that something was wrong. I didn't know what was wrong. I didn't know how to assess it myself with my first child. I knew with my second, because I went down that rabbit hole, like deep after experiencing this, but yeah, the same thing. The lactation personnel came in at the hospital and asked if things were okay. And I was like, I don't know if things are okay. You're supposed to tell me if things are okay. How do I know? Like, I'm this mom who just had this, like, I had other birth, like other complications during my delivery and we were both fine and everything, but I feel like I was exhausted. I had a lot of loss of blood, you know, it was just, how are you asking me if I'm like, if, if, if things are going okay, like, please like assess, come on over, take a look. And so with my second daughter, I feel like I latched onto them. Cause I was like, no, 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 come over here. Like you're not leaving yet until we figure this out together. And at that point I hadn't told them like what I did or anything with my second child. But I also was like, I'm not looking in her mouth for the first 24 hours. And then the second she latched the first time I was like, Oh, there it is. Don't need to look yeah. in the mouth. I already know totally different experience, but it also gave me and empowered me to handle it differently. But also I had knowledge with my second one that I didn't have with my first. And I relied on and trusted all of my providers. And I feel like I was failed. And I know that this is still happening on a daily basis to a lot of mamas and babies out there. And the biggest thing that you said was you felt like this should be an enjoyable experience. And when you flagged it as hard, it was like you were dismissed and handed formula. And that same thing happened to me. Like I didn't flag it as anything. Nobody really, I did fill out those same like postpartum questionnaires (laughs) and they were like, Nope, you're not depressed. And I'm like, no, but I can't feed my kids. So this is, you know, a little stressful. Like I'm crying, baby shrieking at the top of her lungs. We did give her some formula because she had dropped so much weight already. And that was like a day after coming home from the hospital. And I'm like, well, she clearly can't digest this formula. Like it's not, she's shrieking. Like she's having a reaction. 
I'm having a reaction because she's shrieking. So now I'm crying and this is just a whole big freaking mess. Like something has got to give. Right. And that was the same thing. I went into lactation they positioned her differently, told me I was holding her all wrong. And I have said this now three times in like the past week, I'm like, it was like when you take your car to the shop, right. And the noise stops when you get in there and it's like, Oh, we just have to position differently. Look, she's feeding beautifully. And then we go home and it doesn't work. And it's like, oh, there's the squeaky noise again as soon as you drive off the lot, right? <laughs> so. Exactly. That's exactly what we went through. And the other thing I want to go back is to the pediatrician is my baby was born full term. We didn't have any complications. Mine too. Yeah. But she wore preemie clothing till about three months. Mine too. <laughs> it was so small in about till 24, 25 months, she weighed 15 pounds. I had a tiny kid and nobody saw this. And that's because we went to multiple pediatricians and nobody saw this concern at all. So, well, and the other thing with mine was they were just like, well, she's on, she's first percentile for weight, but she's on her own growth curve. I was like, okay. Um, I can't keep pants on her, but that's cool. I mean, I really literally, she could only wear leggings until around four and a half years of age. And like, now we can put other clothes on her, but really the leggings still fit best. So she's got tiny, tiny little waist. And it's basically, that's just how she's been since the beginning, like always really tiny, but yeah, first percentile, her entire first year of life. And the whole message was, but she's on her own growth curve and she hasn't dropped below the first percentile. So she's fine, you know? Okay. Yeah, definitely. Same, same experience we had here. Um, It wasn't until it took me getting mastitis three times, Mm. (laughs) getting sick consecutively. And I was already back at work at that point. Um, But when I went to my OBGYN, they didn't have appointments to see me. And the receptionist was really nice and said, Oh, Miss Royad, you know, we have a lactation center in the valley that could help you. And I was like, how come nobody told me? The pediatrician didn't tell me the first time I got mastitis, nobody told me like, where are you supposed to find this information when you're brand new? The hospital didn't even tell me either. So I go there and that's the first time I meet an IBCLC who actually looks in my baby's mouth. Mm. And this is the ta-da moment when she goes, your baby has a high palate and your baby has a tongue tie, Mm. but same thing. She just said it, just positioned baby send me on my way. And I wasn't given much direction there. And it took me having to dive into research and start looking for articles. And then all I could remember in grad school was tongue ties could potentially be led, lead to a list for some sort of Arctic impediment. So I was like, okay, so it's not affecting that. They never taught me this in grad school. So is this in my field? Is this not in my field? Um, what's going on? And then I started re- uh, looking into other providers. By that time, I think Dr. Baxter released his book at the end of the summer. So my baby had just, I was in that phase and I was like, there's a dentist who's doing this in Alabama. And he's talking about therapy and he's talking about these therapists and oh my gosh, I'm going to go to Alabama. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> we are so far away from Alabama. <laughs> So that was not possible. So then I started looking for providers in my region that were potential release providers. And that was really hard for me to find. Mm. And one day online, when we were breastfeeding, I found a a dentist here who on his website said he did releases. I called, made an appointment. We went in, he laid the baby back, just looked at her mouth 
and goes, there's no tongue tie. Oh gosh. <laughs> Sometimes breastfeeding is just really hard for moms. And I was like, um, I already had researched more than how to do an assessment. I already had looked up the, like the Hazel Baker and I was already trying them on her. So I already had figured out that we were having issues at that point. But once again, I didn't say anything because if he is a provider performing this, he should be competent to know what kind of assessment to perform right. and he didn't do it. So when we walked out of the door, I was like, okay, it's, it's just a sign. Maybe we're just going to have to tackle this on our own with, I guess me doing manual therapy. I had Beckman training. So I was doing a lot of stretching. We kind of had a good experience. Could it have been better in our breastfeeding journey? I'm sure, but I didn't have the help. All I had was me and just continuing to learn on how I could make this as successful as possible. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, that's, kudos on you though, because to have that, that many providers, right. And I was, I went through it too. I had an ENT tell me, well, she's not breast. I see it. It's there, but she's not breastfeeding. So we're not going to release it. And I was like, huh? Like she's having trouble eating right now. I'm telling you as a pediatric feeding therapist who does specialize in this age, because at that point she was 24 months old. I was like, this is my specialty. Like she can't drink from an open cup. She takes really large bites. She can't manage the food. She can't lateralize her tongue. She can't suction her tongue or palate very well. I was like going through a whole like laundry list of things. I'm like, she has an oral, like she has a, she's got dysphagia, oral phase feeding issue. And she was like, well, she's not breastfeeding. So nope. And I was like, oh, all right, well, now we got to go find somebody else. So, and that was supposed to be one of like the top people you go to in this area for these wow. releases. Yeah. And so I was like, okay. So then I found the oral surgeons who I refer to a lot now. And there have been a lot, I, I'm very fortunate because there are a number of skilled release providers in like the DC, Maryland, Virginia, Northern Virginia area. So mm -hmm. like we have options here now, um, but okay. there's also people who have gotten into it who are not so skilled and who probably shouldn't be doing it or who should really focus on like a certain age group versus like mm -hmm. the lifespan, you know? But I will say that there is an oral surgeon that we referred to all the time who released me and released my two daughters, one at 24 months, that one I was just talking about, Lily, and then the other one at five days of life. Um, and me was like, I was like, well, I put both of them through it and I have a tongue tie. So here goes nothing. <laughs> so he did mine as well. But it's been, you know, it's been really incredible to be the patient, the mom, the therapist, the researcher, the, you know, in, in all things, because now, and you get it, like you understand, well, one, we don't want anybody else to go through what we went through. You no. know, I won't speak for you, but I know we were talking about this before. Um, but two, there are options out there and it's a lot of parents don't realize that they don't have, there's no handbook that's handed to a parent that says, if your child has trouble with X, Y, or Z, see this specialist in your area. Right. And so then it becomes like, okay, well, how, how do we get our voice out there so that these parents do know that there's help and they do know there are options. And even if they're not in maybe in their backyard, but they're close enough, they can go drive a couple hours for this one time appointment or whatever the case might be. So, you know, I, I'm happy that I feel like, especially pediatric dentists are really on the up and up in this space. Mm -hmm. I keep joking that they'll be our like next pediatricians because like everything starts in the mouth. And I just get yes. so excited to see competent, like pediatric dentists stepping into this and recognizing the full body impact that this little restriction in the mouth causes. So, so yeah, I know you get it now you've lived it, but I mean, it, yes. it also just makes it that much easier 
to relate to our patients and to 100%. other moms in our space because we've lived it. This is our truth. And it's not a question of whether or not research supports it or not. I can tell you firsthand what I experienced and what I've gone through now with a lot of my patients. So yeah, so it's an exciting time and an exciting space and everything, but how is your area doing like in terms of like providers, has it improved at all or is it still? I think we're, I'm, I'm really trying to advocate for that here in our real Grand Valley region. Um, I know we have a provider that recently went to training, but he has identified that he likes the adult population and maybe some teenagers, um, anything younger than that. He's like, I'm not ready. So I appreciate him. We've collaborated on that uh, for him. Um, my daughter, we did travel to Houston mm-hmm. and there's a pediatric dentist there. And I already had started dabbling once my daughter had her release already working with previous kiddos who were getting releases and pre and post-op, but it was never my daughter's time because her dad works so much. And then I work so much. And when I talk to my families, I tell them, this is a commitment. When you're in that early, like zero to five, and you're going to do a tongue tie release, you really have to be committed for a good a good while because we don't know how they're going to react even if they're acting amazing and behaving appropriately in therapy before after you have that little guy removed oh my gosh you have to be ready for a lovely journey because I've had kids that are like this is wonderful and I've had my own child who was like I don't like it I don't want to do this anymore like not letting me in her mouth and I'm like I'm the therapist everybody lets me do this (laughs) And you're not letting me do it. So you have to have time. And and sometimes you need somebody else in the therapy with you to really make that environment friendly for the kiddo when you're doing these types of post wound care. Um, So we waited till she was about two and a half. And we drove all the way to League City with Dr. Garrett um, to do her release because I had to find a provider that also would fit my kiddo. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes parents just rush to a provider that they think can do the release and they don't really check them out. They don't speak to the provider. They don't speak to the reception. I like to talk to everybody. (laughs) If the receptionist is not going to be well-versed in this area, I don't feel very comfortable sending a patient there just because it's an it's a whole body setting and that's everybody <laughs> included. Yeah, and this pediatric dentist, she, I found her with another client. She actually called me and said, Hey, you live in this area. I'm going to send you a kiddo because mom wants to have a release. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is a provider who called me. Yeah. She called me after her long day. That says so much about her. And ever since then, we've been collaborating with patients. And then I told her, well, you know what? I have I have a baby that's tongue-tied. I still call her baby. (laughs) I go, she's tongue-tied. But at that point, I already had tried taking her to a lot of providers, even as she aged, and they couldn't see this Mm tongue-tied. And I knew it was there. And they were like, no, because she would stick out her tongue. And because of the therapy, she was moving it side to side. And because, and I'm like, but I've worked so hard. You don't understand how much work has gotten to where, has gotten her to where we are now. They weren't seeing that and they weren't listening. So she said, well, if you want to make the drive, let's do it. And she did the release. We did have to choose to do anesthesia. I know some people worry about that, but baby's dad is an anesthesiologist. So you know all about it. (laughs) We knew all about it. We looked at the pros and the cons and we wanted a good procedure and we wanted the provider to have a good 
procedure as well. Um, so we did the anesthesia and I think that was the hardest part seeing her come out of the anesthesia. Not so much the release because I know I broke down in her office. They have a special room for you after. And when I saw her lip because she also had the a maxillary frenum mm -hmm. as well. Her lip was always tight and very thin. She always had this callus in the middle of her lip all of her life, which everybody said was, oh, that's just how her lip is. And I was like, no, it's not. It's her restriction. As soon as she came out, her beautiful lip was just relaxed. You could see the muscular tension just released there. And I started crying and she's like, it's okay. And I go, I don't think you under, I go, I know you understand, but I always see this for everybody else's kids. But for the first time, it got to be my child. Like, it was like always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Right, right. I'm getting chills. I love it. I love and it. I yeah. just had, I go, I've, I've seen so many kids and I saw how they were changing, but we just never had, our schedules never met, meshed. And that's why I tell families, it's okay if you're not ready for a release right now. It has to be a whole family decision because if dad's not on board or mom's not on board, or if you know you're going to be working a lot, we need to do what we can right now and then revisit it later. But because I know, and I went through that experience that we couldn't do it right away. And then I knew we had to do the body work in therapy because she had aged and we had so many compensation little strategies that were occurring with her. But yeah, pediatric dentist, she got it. She saw it. I didn't tell her anything because I wanted her to finally feel me and, and see it. And she, perfect, amazing procedure. <laughs> I, love it. I love it. Well, and I think that that's, that's really cool, right? That you were able to finally have it done for your child. But I mean, it's, it just goes to show that when you're working with a provider who gets it, it's, it's not just about how it looks. And that's mm -hmm. how so many dismiss this. They don't listen to the parent. Like you're saying, Hey, here's this list of symptoms and mm -hmm. my child is functioning, right? They're functioning, but they're not thriving. They're exactly. surviving. They are compensating yeah. in order to survive. And do we want a child to survive or do we want them to thrive? And so if there is this procedure that we can do that can give them full function and make them super functional and, you know, and no longer just survive, but actually get out there and thrive. Why wouldn't you want that for your child? I mean, we know all of the side effects of not addressing it. Right. And, you know, we always say like, yes, the earlier you can do it, awesome. But you make such great points because yes, everybody needs to be on board. We really need to take that team approach. We need to make sure that the child is, that everything is optimal. And that includes family commitment and involvement because it's, it's not going to be helpful if we send a patient for a release, a little baby or a toddler, or even an older child or an adult. And they're not prepped. They haven't done the right pre-op work to prep their body and make sure this is as successful as it can be. They don't know whether or not they need to do active wound care. Like, are they getting sutures? Or are they not getting sutures? And then active wound care is different than post-op stretches and exercises. So, you know, but that also can change based on whether or not you've had sutures. And so there's just so many little nuances that go into your individualized, like therapeutic plan to prep you for this. And this is also, I think why this discussion comes up so much in our industry where people are like, well, can someone just send me a list of like pre and post-op exercises to do? And we're like, no, well, like there might be some overlap in what you give one patient to the next in terms of different exercises. However, like the one specific to that patient is going to be so dependent on like 
is it passive? Are we doing it to them? If we're talking about like a younger child, is it active? Are they engaging in doing it and imitating, copying, you know, doing it on their own between our sessions, you know, and what are their needs? Like you said, you had prepped your daughter so much that she looked like she didn't even have a, a need for it anymore. But you're like, no, deep down, I know she's compensating and compensating is never what we want for our children. We want them to thrive. We want them to not have to compensate because we know as, that compensations, even when you compensate well, it's exhausting. It's exactly. super fatiguing. It, you don't want your, all your energy to be expended on compensating because that takes away from enjoying other things in life. And so, you know, as adults, I think more people getting into this space to recognize that they now realize, wow, I compensate so much. And now I carry all this tension in my neck, in my shoulders. I have back issues. I have migraines. I have TM, you know, issues with my temporomandibular joint. And I was just told that that's because of X, Y, and Z. And, you know, I snore, I, you know, all these things that people have no clue can be related. Well, not can be, is related to like what's going on in your mouth. And so that's where I always look at it. And I'm like, I'd rather have a child do it I don't care if they're five. I don't care if they're nine. I don't care if they're one, two, two days, whatever the case may be. When that family is ready and that child is properly prepped, you are going to have a more optimal release than just like doing it immediately to get it done immediately. You know, and and that's the other thing too, that I'll point out is some people go, well, why are you waiting a month? Mm -hmm. Well, it's not necessarily that you're waiting a month. It's that you're making sure the child is ready. Right. And Mm so arguably my disclaimer on that is, you know, yes, a newborn can go pretty quickly right after birth. Or we, I, I always say like within the first four weeks or so, you can get away with like not having to do a ton of prep. However, body work usually is still very helpful in a lot of these kiddos. Um, but you, you don't need as much work. Right. But then after that point, that's where all those compensations start setting in. And so we really need to like undo what's been done before we send them for the procedure or we're not going to get the most optimal results. So anywho, that's my long soapbox on that topic, but <laughs> you know what, like, I'm curious to know, like, cause you mentioned she had compensatory strategies. Are there some that you can share with us that you feel like really stood out to you in terms of her feeding, like what you knew was just not what she should be doing. And you were like, that's compensatory. And I think um, I do have a lot. And I think my background with the geriatric population, because there was a time when we were doing dysphagia therapy and geriatric, that it was all about compensatory strategies like chin tuck, let's do a head tilt and see if they can pass on an MBSS that way. And then I remember I had one patient who had a stroke and we were doing a head tilt. And then he was like, man, Sabrina, my neck hurts so much. Like I enjoy this water but my neck is hurting. And then that's when that clicked that the misalignment in your head and neck posture, when you're swallowing or eating the repercussions, uh, like automatically are in effect. So I was, I knew these adults that I had worked with. And at that point, so I I would ask them like, Hey, you're okay like this. And yeah, I just want to drink my coffee. I just want (laughs) to eat my donut. Yeah, I'm fine. They will hustle through it. And I had one lady tell me I lived my life. Just let me enjoy this piece of cake and I'll get through it. But for a young child, I think it's important that we notice this. It's not normal for a child to be ducking their head or doing a chin tuck and already cueing themselves on a hard swallow. A lot of these kids are very smart because they don't have anything else going on and they know how to adapt. And they, like you said, they want to survive and their body's going to survive and they develop this strategy. So for her, she... Everybody thought it was so cute because she would dance. So she would do like a turtleneck um, 
And I was like, that's not cute. She's not dancing when she's eating. Uh, what I always claimed was that she was ducking forward. So her head was coming uh, like away from the pharyngeal wall. So we were creating more space from that tongue to where we go up and then back. It was making it more difficult for her. Mm-hmm. And we already had this restriction. So the tongue wasn't even moving because I'd be like, open your mouth after. And you would just see like the bolus spread out. Yeah. And I'd be like, why are you taking forever to eat? But she was just causing a like a slower transit time to get to eat anything. And then by that time, she's like, I'm not hungry. Mm-hmm. So I will also mention this child only a parade food. Mm-hmm. Like she would not eat anything crunchy. We had these Mickey. Yeah, yeah. These um Mickey waffles. She loved the Mickey waffles that we would buy. And yes, I'm not organic or anything. <laughs> I just wanted her to eat. So I would buy anything at that point. Yeah. Um, we bought Mickey waffles and she would butter them up and everything. I'm like, she's going to eat this. She would take one bite. And mm-mm. and I asked her one time, what's wrong? And she told me it hurts. It oh. hurts my mouth. So she's very articulate. She talks yeah. so much. Yeah. And she told me it hurts. And she goes, make me toast, but she likes the toast very white and butter on it. So if you work with textures for a while, you know, that would be like a mech soft compared to a waffle, which would be a regular. And I was like, this kid is making her own diet without anybody else figuring it out. Yeah. Same thing for pizza. We ordered thin crust pizza one time and she was like, I can't eat it. And that would be more regular because you have to really chew and get some work going. Yeah. But the hand toss, which is a little bit fluffier. Oh, that's more of a mech soft. She can tolerate that and somehow pass it. So I was like, that's when it started connecting. Like, oh my gosh, she's changed her own diet. She doesn't eat this. Not because she's picky. It, she, she told me it hurts. She physically can't. So I remember going to the doctor and at this point we were living for a while in San Antonio. And I was like, we're in a university. They're going to listen to me here because it's like a research hospital. They're forward. And I went and I told them we had a first year resident and it's not to be mean to her, but she was like, okay, ma'am. And, and it just left there. So once again, I didn't really, when I was saying like, there's picky, she's like, well, maybe she has sensory aversions. And I was like, that's not what it is. Like, I know that's not it. Like I've yeah. done it all, like touch it, feel it, smell it, all of the SOS approach I had tried. Yeah. And, and that wasn't the breakthrough. You're like, she um, will put this in her mouth, but then yeah, it doesn't just, feel good to try and break it down at that point. So, and it's yeah. not a sensory feeling. It's a motor thing that, I mean, yeah, it's all interconnected sensory motor. We can't truly separate it. Right. But at the same time, like she's saying it hurts, like yeah. that's telling us that something is wrong. Something is not working the way it should. Exactly. And another one, her sternocloid mastoid, I know I'm getting more into body work, but working in the geriatric setting, I have my OT and my PT who have explained so much to me to look out for, for my geriatric. So I noticed her sternocloid mastoid was so tight Mm. and this had just developed from that six month mark to about her 20 year when she was going to be two. This was like a, a trapezoid. I tell everybody that's the only way I can describe it. And she's a tiny toddler why she's not stressed. She doesn't work. She's not a computer. (laughs) Yeah. Especially if your jaw is like, was her jaw sliding at all? Or was she like having a hard time or was it just inside you? She really just wouldn't chew anything. She couldn't mash. She just wouldn't chew. She just wouldn't chew. And I think if she would try, cause I was, and this is where I felt bad because I was like, come on, just try it. Like we're doing the therapy. You can do this. Like, come on. And she would try and she'd be like, it just looked terrible. It was just not fun. Yeah. And as you know, when we work with eating 
and it's such an enjoyable experience at all ages because you eat at birthday parties you eat when you get a job promotion yeah Yeah, it's very social and that wasn't fun for her like eating as a family she really didn't want to engage in that she would kind of like eat on her own which we all know is not normal Mm -hmm. because we want to include the kiddos um so all those little signs I was picking up and like I said nobody really was catching on to it until I met Dr. Garrett. And I was like, this is what's going on. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, yeah, it totally. It, it makes it, sense. It, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then I did have to go out and find a chiropractor to kind of work on that body work. And I, I had also done the certified, uh, the CME training mm-hmm. where so I could do infant massage. And as an SLP, we can't do them on children, but she's my own child. <laughs> right, right. So I was like, oh my God, this is why I did it. I did it for her so I could feel it. And oh my gosh, her back and neck and head were just so yeah. tight. And she felt like a 30 year old woman who had a really intense job. <laughs> it's so interesting you say that because with Lily, I didn't do that. But with Mia, I did. I went and I took my own just like, you know, massage, infant massage class. And it was almost like a fun activity for the two of us. It was my yeah. own child. So I could do it on her. And I learned so much just about, and it really made so much sense too, because I was like, yep. Okay. Confirming a lot of the things that I believed about how we're so interconnected and like how what's going up on the, you know, what goes on up on the face inside the mouth is just connected to the neck and the shoulders and the gut. And, you know, when you could feel the tension on your own baby and feel like, okay, wow, this is it. Cause both my kids had tight necks. Like Mia's, we ended up going through months of PT and I kept feeling like this is not working. They kept trying to stretch against the um, the tightness instead of like kind of bending into it. And then I met a PT who now explained to me, cause I've had the work done on me that, you know, well, this is kind of counterintuitive, but we want to actually help the body move towards the tightness to release it. And I was like, well, that makes sense. And so I started to go down this whole new rabbit hole of like body work and I'm not getting into it myself, but I just wanted to have that understanding. Like, why is it that we need this? Cause so many people ask, why do we need the body work? And why is it like, why do you tell everybody to go get this done beforehand? And I'm like, because I've lived it as a mom and a patient. They see the difference between my first child, my second child, and now me to fully understand how much tension our body carried because we were compensating. And that is one way that our body compensates is through carrying tension elsewhere, certain muscles are overworking to compensate for the ones that can't do their job. And that's why we get this asymmetry. That's why we get tension and nobody's perfectly symmetrical. But when we start to become aware of this, I'm like, this is why both my kids could hold their necks up at birth. That's not normal. Like babies should not be born and hold their head up two hours after birth. Like a major red flag. I was, you know, and then I learned, oh, well, it's because they have all this tension underneath their tongue and in there in that connects to what's going on in their neck. Like, okay, why didn't anybody tell me this? Why isn't anybody looking for this? Why aren't they screening for these things? Like they screen their hearing, but they could, they are not screening for things that like hearing is important, but so is the tongue. (laughs) So why are we not screening this at birth? So yeah, it's, you know, but I think that whole conversation of just compensations, like when you talk to a parent, like we would talk, like if I were to get on an intake call and talk to a parent and say something like, does your child tend to like take really big bites and it doesn't really make sense because they can't manage the food normally very well. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, and do they prefer softer foods? And I'll like start listing foods. I'm like, are the foods usually like these colors? And they'll start going, 
yeah, how did you know all this? And I'm like, because this is the patient I see all the time. And this is typically what we find. So I'm not pre-diagnosing your child, but here's what we need to roll out. Here are some things we want to look for. And like, here's what we're going to do when you come in for an evaluation kind of thing. And, you know, it's, I'm like, why isn't this more information more readily available, you know, and why have not have other providers not caught on to this? Because that's really the biggest issue at hand is if the pediatricians are not treating this, which they shouldn't be, it's not their specialty. They, it should be part of that, that screening. It should be part of the questionnaire that they give out to mom after baby, you know, with that first visit. And then a couple of months later, and then a couple of months later, because we know how rapidly feeding changes in the first year. And, you know, you go from breast or bottle feeding or a combination of the two to solids. Like that's a huge change at six months. So why are we not asking things other than just like, how's it going? And then dismissing what mom tells us when it's not going so well. So yeah, I, I feel your pain, but I mean, how thankful like your community must be for you to know that they have you, but I know it's hard to get the word out to everybody, even if you are in a small community. Um, how has that been for you? Have you, do you feel like you've been able to connect with other parents or where, where are you with that? I- it's been quite difficult. And even in this whole COVID era, that's even harder because you can't even go into doctor's offices and try to pitch something or leave a brochure on it. Or So that's been really difficult. Families have found me. I had one mom find me through you. <laughs> um, she was like, she was saying, I need this, this, and this. And I looked it up and you came out and I was like, Oh, yay. So your podcast has been very helpful. Oh, for God, I'm people. so happy. Um, um, Facebook, Instagram, I've been trying to post. I'm very, I'm a shy person. <laughs> and then when you have a daughter who went through this for me, it was kind of almost sad because I could go help a TBI patient or a trach patient swallow. But here I was at home and I had a baby that I was so sad and I couldn't even get her to eat a waffle that she wanted to eat. So it's that I I balance that I'm trying to still learn as a, as a mom, as a human being and clinician, but so far we've been okay. Like I said, we found that chiropractor, it's a family of chiropractors and they also have experience with tongue ties. (laughs) So they understand they get it. Um, They're so on board. If I send a patient to them, they are able to complete that body work for them. With PT and OT, I'm still finding my buddies. So if anybody is listening, <laughs> reach out, reach out. Send me a message. I'm here. Um, lactation. I've met more IBCLCs. I'm so happy for that, that are gaining the momentum and opening their eyes. And um, we're trying to collaborate a little bit more with that. So it, it's going, it's a little hard, but it's going. <laughs> And I know that you're, you know, your community, so you're in a bilingual community as as well. Is this something that, you know, is well received by your community? Do you get a lot of pushback? Like, how is that? In my own personal experience, when I was having so many issues with the breastfeeding, my family, my maternal family never breastfed, but my boyfriend's family did. And when I was telling them I had so many issues, they were kind of seeing like, you just want to cut the baby's mouth. Like, why, why do you want to put the baby in so much pain? And I was like, okay, we can pierce their ears at two months, <laughs> but, but you don't want me to help her eat. And so it was very difficult. And when you have families that are so close knit together, like I said, it has to be a whole family experience. And 
you kind of have to involve that grandma and grandpa in this as well, because if you have a negative energy and if you're trying to do this wound care with a baby or you have a therapist coming into your home and grandma's over here saying something not so positive, babies feel everything, toddlers feel everything, and it can change the dynamic of your treatment. So I've noticed in this region, I've had to be very, okay, grandma, grandpa, come see what we're doing. Hey, aunt, come. I had one baby that mom was working so much. And this is when I was in San Antonio for a little bit. I had to train all three aunts that lived in that home. And I had to train grandma and grandpa on what we were doing because mom had to work a lot, but they wanted the help for the baby and they were going to do it. Um, it. And it's when they want the help that you're like, I am more than happy to teach all of you if that, if you're receptive to this, like, let's go. But I mean, what an important point that you point out, because we don't talk about that enough on the podcast here. There are cultural components that we need to consider. And we really need to be asking our families because you might be in a big city like where I am in DC, it's a mixing bowl. Like we've got everything here. And so we need to be cognizant of like, who is in that family unit? Who Mm -hmm. is going to be present a large portion of the time that we really need to make sure that we educate them and get them on board and get their, you know, almost like get their approval in a sense so that the family feels supported. Because like you said, how awful is it for someone to be standing over your shoulder being like, I can't believe you're going to cut this baby. And you're like, okay, not what we're doing here. Like, yes, but no, you know, it's, we're not trying to bring harm. We're trying to make things easier and make sure baby can thrive and is fed, which is, you know, and then you're going and, you know, it's like, we can pierce pierce their ears at, you know, a couple months of age, but I can't help her eat. Like that's, I mean, what, uh, what a good point. And yeah. And it just kind of brings me back to, we like to ask like on our intake, you know, what languages are in the home and who is in the household with the child. And so this kind of, it's our way to like tiptoe into this conversation of like, who do we need to involve in this conversation and who is really present in this child's life on a daily basis so that we can start to have those conversations. And so, but again, it's not discussed enough. So thank you for pointing that out because, you know, just culturally, I think we have to be so sensitive and so inclusive of making sure that everybody really is ready to go, not just mom and baby or mom, you know, and partner and baby. Um, So thank you for that. No, you're welcome. But it's been a, it's been something to tackle. And that was new to this region, because I already had started dabbling in this in San Antonio. And it was uh, kind of fine until I got to the real Grand Valley again, where I was like, Oh, my gosh, I have grandma's taking the baby away midway in session. And I'm like, please come back. And then of course, apologizing. And then like, well, let's try to make this better. I've had families who love essential oils. And I'm like, okay, spray them in the room. Let's do that. If that's what grandma's going to be happy with, let's do it. I had another mom who believed in like crystals and she wanted the crystals around the baby, but that's what she really believed in. And I was like, okay, let's go for it. Just as long as I can do the treatment. So it is in that intake, it's very important to know what you're walking into and just be open-minded. I want, uh, I want all of my families to feel welcome and not feel like they have to hide anything. Cause sometimes they'll be like, are you doing the stretches? And they'll be like, um, yeah. And then you go see the baby the next day and you're like, oh my gosh, you did not do the stretches. <laughs> I'm like, we are friends. I am a clinician, but I am your friend on this journey because I think that's very important also that we're, we're there for the family and we want them to know we care about their child and we care about their well-being. And that's why we're doing what we're doing. It's not just to bill insurance or anything. It's 
we really want this child to be successful because like you and I, we've walked that path and it's been so hard when you don't have anybody guiding you. And I want to be that guidance for anybody in my community that needs the help. (laughs) I completely hear you. And I think that that is so important. And I mean, how amazing that your community has you, you know, leading this path, because it's, I tell people, if you want to get into working with infants, like between birth and 12 months of age, like it's not just a journey and it's not just a matter of learning the skills, but it's a matter of connecting with these moms and Mm -hmm. partners and families on a whole different level than you might be used to in the older crowd. And I'm not saying that we don't connect with the older kiddos either, but we have to also keep in mind, mom's hormones are all over the place. Like mom might cry and you got to be okay with that. Mom might whip her boob out and you got to be okay with that too. Even if you're not lactation, you know, you're talking about feeding a baby. There are certain things that I've had therapists who are like, oh, so this happened today. And I'm like, yeah. And (laughs) and (laughs) what did you expect? Or I guess you didn't expect that. That's why we're talking about it. So like you said, just being open and knowing that any number of things might happen, but you are a sounding board. You are a therapist, but you're also a sounding board. And sometimes we have to get creative and we just need to let mom talk and we need to let them share with us because that's where you get into them also feeling comfortable enough to share with you what's important to them. And that's why your families can say, you know what? I really believe in crystals or I believe in essential oils or I need this in place to do this they're not going to feel comfortable even telling you those things if they don't feel comfortable with you. And so it's like, that's step one, right? Building that rapport with mom, obviously baby too, but definitely with mom and anybody else in the family who is going to be an integral part of this therapy. So I love that. That's, that's such a key point that so many of us forget. And it just seems, it seems so intuitive, but it's not. Yeah. And it's the biggest difference, I think, in some infants having success in feeding, like working with a therapist who really connects with the family and who really, yes, you're skilled. Yes, you can identify the issue baby's having. Yes, you can treat it. Yes, you can dismiss them after a while. Yes, all those things. But we cannot, you know, it's like you just can't forget, like they're humans first, right? And we have to connect on a deeper level, especially with mamas who are in that we joke like the fourth trimester, especially those babies, those new babies in the first three months after birth, because they could have just gone through something completely traumatic with that pregnancy or that birth. And now here we are as another reminder that baby, that something's wrong. Something's yeah. not going as mom expected. Like you said, you were like, this was supposed to be enjoyable. This was supposed to be easy. And everyone just writes it off as like, no, it's hard. Yeah. And it's not just that. <laughs> it is way more than just hard. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So on that note, um, where can they find you? I know that you are part-time in a skilled nursing facility, but you're also part-time in your own private practice, Mighty Bites. So how do they find you if they want to, they want help with these issues? So right now we actually went through a name change because I was under La Paloma Therapeutics trying to, I was like La Paloma, it signifies a dove and dove is uh, hope and faith. And I just felt like That's really something I needed as a mom to have hope that this feeding journey was going to get better and I was going to find a way to do something for her and then for other babies. Because like I said, I don't want anybody else to go through this just like you. So I was like, Lopaloma Therapeutics. (laughs) And then after six months, I'm like, okay, it's not really rolling off the tip of the tongue. And then I also work in the uh, geriatric home, uh, nursing home. So I was like, okay, I need something like Mighty Bites, the chewing, we're getting there. And that also was seeing Tatiana after her release, like 
the first day of her release, she ate a waffle. She ate three waffles, the Mickey waffles she always wanted to eat. And I cried because I was like, oh my gosh. Um, She always wanted to eat it and I would always present it to her. And I felt so bad that she couldn't do it. So it's part of her, her mighty, her mighty bite, her strength. And that just speaks so much because I want mighty moms, because this is something for moms to really advocate. It takes you being mighty. Oh my gosh, I might cry Um, because a lot of people don't listen to you, but I'm here and I'm going to listen to you. And if I'm not the right person for you, I will open a door and I will try to do what I have to do for you and your child. So I want my mighty moms, my mighty babies, my mighty toddlers, my mighty teens, mighty adults. It just meant more to me. So we went with mighty bites. Um, Yeah. So right now my Instagram is still La Paloma Therapeutics or Pinky Sabrina. And you can message me there. Um, I also have my Facebook and that one is on mighty bites already. It got changed. So it comes out La Paloma Therapeutics or Mighty Bites, but it's just so much more. And, and I wanted it really to be meaningful because it's, it's a journey and I want to be there for families. That's really what it is. I love it. I mean, and you can hear it, you can hear it in your voice. I mean, I, I know you teared up and like, I'm over here getting chills, like throughout this conversation today, as we're talking as a mom, as a therapist, as a business owner, like I get it. And you know, it's, it's one of those things where you, we name our practices sometimes because we want to attract people to understand what we do, but also when we have like our very own meaning and everything, something special behind the meaning, like it just makes it that much more authentic and that much more exciting to talk about. And, you know, it really totally comes through you. It just shines through you. So I'm excited. I mean, I think you're, you're in a small town, but how fortunate they are to have somebody like you in their corner who, you know, you're even able to say, look, if I'm not right, the right fit for you, I just want to open the door for you. I want to connect you with somebody who might be the right fit. And that speaks volumes, you know, just being that connector, being that person who either can deliver the, the therapy they need or being the connector is, you know, that whole mindset of like, there's enough of us to go around. Maybe exactly. we're not all quite here yet. Maybe we're not all quite in this space locally, but you know, but yeah, how, how great that it is that they have you, um, seriously. And I mean that like wholeheartedly because, you know, you work from a place of being the mom of the patient, being the the practitioner, having worked with all kinds of patients that are struggling with this and, you know, but you also get it on a holistic level, which is really yes. rare and really cool. And I'm hoping it's becoming more common than not, but you know, it's really that holistic approach is what serves our patients the best through and through every single day. So thank you. Thank you for your work. Oh, and thank you for sharing Tatiana's story and your story with us, because these stories need to be heard. They really need to be heard. And so I'm glad to, to have you on and share it. Thank you so much for inviting me. <laughs> of course. And we will make sure that we put all of your contact information in the show notes and everything. So they, you know, if they are looking for you and they can't find you for some reason, it's in the show notes. Um, you guys can, you know, grab those and connect with Sabrina, but thank you again, Sabrina, for being on. This has been amazing. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you want to hear more of these Mayo Tots airway and feeding related episodes, be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash the untethered podcast. If you found value, others you know in this space will too. So be sure to share this episode on your social media platforms and join us over on Facebook, on my Facebook page at Hallie Balkan Biz, on Instagram at, at Hallie Balkan. And you can head over to the untetheredpodcast.com to grab a copy of the show notes um, where you can also subscribe to be kept up to date on the latest podcast episodes. 